From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. Each week, we discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. I'm Annalise Hensel, in for Marty Michelson. Here's our latest conversation with J.R. The divisive fight between the Democratic governor and Republicans who control the legislature is over. Republicans stripped Evers' major policy proposals and made other changes, and then Evers made alterations of his own last week with his partial vetoes. Who's walking away from this the winner? That's a good question. Uh, I get the impression so far that each side is at the very moment trying to declare victory, and maybe it's because everybody can kind of claim something out of this budget. I mean, if you look at from the Evers' perspective, no, he, he didn't get things like medical marijuana, some tax hikes he proposed, a series of policy provisions such as going to a nonpartisan process to draw lines for assembly and senate districts, that kind of thing. All these were stripped out. Same time, he ran on three things. He ran on, you know, fixing the roads, putting more money into schools, and Medicaid, expanding Medicaid and the Affordable Care Act. Well, on roads, he got a plan for Republicans to address road work. It just funds it differently. Evers won a tax hike. They Republicans went with a fee increase. On schools, you know, he wanted $1.4 billion in additional money for schools. They went with $505 million. He bumped it up to $570 million. So still a good chunk of change. The one thing he really didn't get was a Medicaid expansion. However, Republicans did spend a lot more in state tax dollars to put more money into health care programs. So in a lot of ways, he, he got some things he wanted. Now, for Republicans... They can say, hey, they stopped the Medicaid expansion. They think that is an expansion of welfare, and they're opposed to it philosophically. At least leadership is. They stopped that. They stopped the tax hikes that he was proposed. They reined in the spending increases he proposed. He wanted to be at 8.3% spending increase. They went 5.6%. So they stopped a lot of things. The question is, did Republicans in the budget they originally produced, were they pulled toward Evers because his first plan was so aggressive at what he proposed? You can make the argument that they had to shape their perspective because of what he put out there. At the same time, they cut $2 billion out of it. So it's kind of interesting that there's a little bit of for everybody to claim, you know, and, and Evers, to back to the first point, he says this fell short of his original plan. He will now go out there and still keep pushing the Medicaid expansion. I don't get the impression he has much leverage on that issue because Republicans have already rejected it, but he's going to go out and keep pushing that. And it does guarantee that the health care debate will stay alive through the next election about this Medicaid expansion. Another item that you mentioned that is not going away is the medical marijuana. Even though Republicans did not let the governor have that in the budget, Republican Assembly Speaker Robin Voss says that he might support it. What do you make of him coming forth with that proposal at the same time that Republicans took it out of the budget? Well, the reality is that that provision will not get through the state Senate. Uh, as currently constructed because there are not 17 Republican votes in the Senate for medical marijuana. And this is why it's important. There's a 1914 Republican majority in the state Senate. If you just put that bill on the floor and said, okay, everybody vote the way you want, you would probably find a majority easily to pass that bill. But people, uh, leaders, leaders of caucuses and legislatures don't like to rely on minority party votes to pass a bill. When you do that, you enable the minority to make demands. So Scott Fitzgerald has a pretty simple rule. Unless he has 17 Republican votes for a bill, it's not going to the floor. So without that support in that 
that caucus, it's not going to happen. And right now, Fitzgerald says he doesn't have it. Now, I mean, there's always a chance for a change, but Fitzgerald's opposed. Other members are opposed. So I just don't get the impression right now that's going year and where, which is part of why it's pulled out of the budget, because it was a policy. And two, there's not the support to pass it right now. Earlier, you brought up redistricting and the fact that the governor wanted to have a nonpartisan approach to redistricting. It's something that the legislature removed from the budget as well. But there are still some groups that are calling for what they call fair maps. And they hope that after the 2020 census, that a new system will be in place to create maps without it being a legislative fight. Is that something that might happen or are we marching straight toward the new redistricting period with the Republicans getting ready to approve maps that they like and the Democratic governor rejecting them, then the issue ending up in the court system? Well, we're going to the courts. That's the short answer. Look, Governor Evers, you know, proclaimed that he still wants to see a nonpartisan redistricting process, that he will veto any uh, maps he thinks are not fair. The reality is Republicans do not believe Generally speaking, in going to a nonpartisan process, there are Republicans I've talked to who don't believe you can really truly find a nonpartisan commission to do it. Now, there are Republicans who've expressed support in the legislature for some kind of new system, but there aren't enough at this point to change how we do things. So what's likely going to happen is either they'll pass a bill, lawmakers, Republicans will pass a bill with maps that they like, even will veto it, and we'll go to court, or they may race to court without even waiting for a bill because they'll say, look, there's no point, they're not going to get a deal done. So Let's go to the courts. The question that I have is, which court will we be in? Will it be in federal courts or state courts? And that's key because the state Supreme Court right now is queued up to have a conservative majority for sure in 2021. Um, it will be 5-2 conservative starting in August when Brian Hagedorn takes office. Uh, conservative Daniel Kelly's up for election in 2020. He faces an, possibly an uphill battle. But even if he loses, there's still a conservative majority in 2021. That would be a friendlier audience for Republicans for what they're pushing. For Democrats, they likely want to go to federal courts. Remember, while the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that they're not going to police partisan gerrymanders, there's already been a three-judge panel in the Western District Court of Wisconsin who said, hey, this map Republicans drew is not fair. So you would think that Democrats might have a better shot of getting a better map with those folks on that court than they would in the state Supreme Court. Now, I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I hate predicting what courts will do or what argument went out, but that's just kind of, it seems like kind of common sense to people I talk to about that's where these guys are thinking about. Where do we want to be with this lawsuit, state court or federal court? Well, shifting topics to next year's elections. This week, the League of United Latin American Citizens annual convention is coming to Milwaukee, and four of the big-name Democratic presidential hopefuls will appear at a town hall forum in conjunction with the convention. Does this tell you that the candidates want to make their mark in Milwaukee and in Wisconsin, or is the visit mainly appealing to the candidates because they want to connect with the delegates at this particular convention? It could be a little bit of both. I mean, the convention is an audience they're trying to woo, for sure. The fact that it's in Milwaukee is just another connection, symbolically, to how important Wisconsin is going to be in 2020, because you have the convention coming here. The convention is coming here, symbolically, because Wisconsin is a swing state. Um, it's a state that Democrats neglected in the presidential race in 2016. They vowed not to let that happen again. You're just seeing all these connections that all come back to the fact of, if you're a Democrat, you must win Wisconsin in 2020 to have a shot to beat President Trump. There are ways to get there without Wisconsin, but Wisconsin, if you get Wisconsin Democrat, it's much easier to get 270 electoral votes than if you don't get it. 
That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.